At the Last Supper, when Judas had gone out, Jesus said, Now is the Son of Man glorified, and in him God is glorified. If God is glorified in him, God will also glorify him in himself, and glorify him at once. Little children, yet a little while while I am with me. Excuse me. Little children, yet a little while I am with you. You will seek me. And as I said to the Jews, so now I say to you, where I am going, you cannot come. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another, even as I have loved you, that you also love one another. By this, all men will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Christ. In the name of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. They say that many, that people, different people, learn in different ways. And um, I've discovered over the years that I prefer multiple ways of hearing something and learning something. I am the classic audiovisual person. Give me a picture. Uh, Let me hear something so that I can learn it a little better than I would just from rote memorization or just from one way of seeing something or just hearing something. And that's what we have in Scripture um, today. In the first lesson from Revelation 21, we get the classic audiovisual device. We have in that lesson a vision that God gave to the Apostle John while he was on the island of Patmos in exile. And that vision, he sees these amazing things. He sees the new Jerusalem, the holy city, descending from the clouds, descending like a bride adorned for her husband. And he hears, there's a sound, there's a voice coming from the throne that's in the middle of the city. So I appreciate this. I like this. I need to see it. I need to hear it. And what a beautiful vision it is. In that place, John says, um, he hears the voice saying, in fact, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. So we can get two things about this city from what the voice tells us. We see these amazing things through John's vision, and he'll go on to describe them later on in chapter 22 as well. But we hear two important things about this place, Um, two important things about this heavenly city, which is, in fact, not in heaven, is it? It's down on the earth. It descended down to the earth. It's a new earth, a new creation that we are seeing in this vision. Two things about this new creation. First of all, from verse 4, There will be no tears, no suffering, no sorrow, and no dying. It is as though those words of Sam Ganji in J.R.R. Tolkien's Lord of the Rings, the Return of the King, the last book, he has woken up after, after everything, after the whole story is over. He woke up and he sees there his friend Gandalf and he asks him and he says, Gandalf, you're alive. Has every sad thing come untrue? 
great phrase to describe the new earth, that new city, the holy city, where every sad thing that has happened to us, that we have seen, that we have experienced in this life, every sad thing, every sorrow, will come untrue. And that final sorrow, that final separation, death will be no more. So that's the first thing at this place. There's no darkness, no sadness, no death. The second thing that we can notice is that God says specifically that he will dwell with his people. For those who believe through Jesus, there will be a time when we will walk side by side with God. In Genesis chapter 3, verse 8, we see that at the very beginning of the Bible, at the very beginning of the story of God's relationship with humanity, you see that God walked in the Garden of Eden. It says in chapter 3, he walked in the garden in the cool of the morning. And while he walked in the garden, he looked for his friends. He had a sweet fellowship, a closeness, an intimacy of relationship with that first man and that first woman, with Adam, with Eve. And as he walked in the garden, he looked for them. And he couldn't find them. They were hiding from him because they knew that they had broken his rules. They knew that they had transgressed. They knew that they had failed him and disappointed him. They had believed the lies of the serpent. And sin entered into that first creation. And so that sweet fellowship with God, that closeness and nearness was broken. And so there's a sense throughout Scripture, and you see this, that God's holiness and His righteousness is such that when sinful human beings are in His presence, we are consumed by His holiness. And so he devises this long story. This long story is all about him coming back and rescuing humanity, bringing us back into fellowship with him, back into relationship with him. He desires to dwell with us and to walk with us. And sin has made that dwelling impossible. And yet, God proclaims that it will not always be so. He says, I will make my dwelling among you. He says this early on in Scripture, in Leviticus, to the people of Israel. And he says it as a promise, a promise that we know will be fulfilled. I will make my dwelling among you. I will walk among you and will be with you. I will be your God and you will be my people. How is it that he makes it right? How is it that he makes it possible for us to be so near to him, to be in deep fellowship with him. Well, God pays the price of our sin himself. He himself pays the price. He pays our debt by sending Jesus Christ, the eternal word, to dwell among us, to live, to be born as a frail little baby. And then to die for us, for our sins on the cross. And then to rise again. That is the story, his love story. How he rescues us and brings us back into fellowship and relationship with him. In 
Mel Gibson's Passion of the Christ. And um, there are wonderful things about this movie. Um, there are things um, also that are not in Scripture, oddly enough. Um, if you see it very closely and you watch it very closely, I will say there are things that are not in Scripture. But Mel Gibson takes um, a little bit of fiction. He creates a little fiction during this one moment where he shows Jesus on the road to Calvary, walking on the road to Calvary, bearing on his back that heavy wooden cross. And in his film, Mel has Jesus fall under the weight of the cross, and he looks up, and he sees his mother, Mary, and he says to his mother, Mary, See, mother, I make all things new. His face is bloody. He's flat on the road, weighed down with the burden of the cross, weighed down with the sins of the world. And yet he looks to the end. He knows the end. He knows what his death will do. So Mel takes that point of fiction. We don't know if that happened, but the words that he puts in Jesus' mouth right there are the very words we read tonight from Revelation It's in verse 5. He who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. And so those two realities of that city, that heavenly city, remember first that there's no suffering, no tears, no mourning, no dying. That reality, that heavenly reality. And second, that reality of God dwelling with his people. Uh, closely dwelling, walking with us, talking with us, uh, sharing time with us, just like we would with a close friend, that reality is made possible by Jesus' death on the cross. Because through his death, he takes away our sin. No more sorrow, no more death, no more separation from God. And this forgiveness that he offers, this salvation, is free for us. And we see this right here in this same passage. That voice from the throne says in verse 6, To the thirsty I will give from the spring of the water of life without payment. I will give freely to those who are thirsty. The gift of salvation in Jesus Christ is a free gift that God gives to us with no strings attached. I don't know about you, but I don't actually like free things. I like some free things, but not really big things. Really big free things scare me. Um, just last month, I happened to be in one of the amazing restaurants in Birmingham, and I do, I do really love our restaurants here. It's something I've been able to enjoy. People ask me, are you getting to know Birmingham? And I say, well, I don't really know the geography, but I know all the best restaurants. <laughs> That's probably a sign of the hospitality of the parish, isn't it? But um, I was in one of the best restaurants in Birmingham with a friend for lunch. And uh, this close friend and I were talking, and we went um, after three courses. Yeah, it was, it was a little extravagant. After three courses, we went to pay our bill. And the waiter said to us, well, your bill has already been paid. You can't, you can't pay. Uh, it's already been paid for. 
I was flabbergasted. And I tried to get him to do some sleuthing. I said, okay, can you find out whose name was on the ticket? What did the person look like? And I got nowhere. I got nothing. I wanted at least to be able to write a thank you note. I wanted to know the person, be able to say, I'll get it next time. Next time, next time it's on me, right? As payback, you know, a little bit of reciprocity in the relationship. Uh, but there was nothing doing. He had no idea who it was. And I know it was probably someone from the Advent. And yet it stings that I cannot even write a thank you note, some kind of effusive, flowery thank you to say how much I appreciated it and somehow make up for the generosity of this person. It was free. I'm still affected by it. Can't you tell? Well, that free gift is just like the free gift that God offers to us in Jesus Christ. There's nothing we can do. No thank you note could ever outweigh what it is he's done, could ever make up for it, to ever pay back for it and say, well, we'll get it next time, God. His gift to us is so big that the only thing we can do is to be thirsty. To the thirsty, I will give freely. And so I guess that causes us to ask, am I thirsty? How much do I want that vision? How much do I want forgiveness of sins? How much do I want freedom and eternal life and death no more and no more sorrow or suffering and that sweet walk of fellowship with God? Are you thirsty? Let's pray. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for your gift for your death. Spring up within us a thirst, a thirst that is only for you, that can only be quenched in you. And let us come to the waters and be healed and forgiven. We give you thanks and praise and glory and honor. And it's in your name that we pray. Amen.